I'm going to try it up here for the first session and see how that feels. And then there are no slides for the afternoon, so maybe I'll come back down that way. I just want to say thank you for the warm welcome. It means a lot to me to get to come here and visit with this church. I think it was maybe seven years ago, somewhere in that range, the first opportunity I had to come and speak the word here and build new relationships. And it's just wonderful to see you again and to be together. I'm thankful that we're here with God's word and we have something that can guide us and can shape us. And I would love for you to open your New Testaments to John chapter 12. In just a little bit, our first reading, our central text for the morning will be the words of Jesus in John chapter 12. While you're getting to that place, let me just tell you a little bit about my family at home. I have four kids at home and one of them got married this year Hannah was 19 years old when she got married. She turned 20 a little later in the year. She married some guy she just met two years earlier, but you know what I mean. (laughs) And he was a cowboy from East Texas with a hat and everything. And so it all just kind of happened. And I learned that lesson that I've been told about how little control that a father really has. But she did ask if I would be willing to preach the ceremony, which I was more than willing to do. She only asked that I keep it short, and I did. But on the way there, I was driving, it was January the 4th of this year, and I was driving to the venue by myself. All the ladies and the kids had gone early for all the pictures and all the stuff that they do. And so I was all by myself. And on the way to the venue that day, I still did not know what I was going to say. I don't know how many weddings I've done over the years, but this felt like it needed to be tight and I needed to talk about that one thing. And so I had the vows in my pocket. You have to get the vows right. But in terms of the one point I wanted them to get, I really didn't know. And so as I was driving there, I was thinking, if there's one thing that a young couple needs to understand is taking place when they get married, what is that one thing? And I started thinking things like this. They need to understand that today, they are not modifying their lives. They're not like, you still have your life and you still have your life and we're just gonna add a spouse onto it and change your address and the check will have two names on it. They're not modifying their lives. They are replacing their lives. They are ending a certain kind of life. They are ending a certain priority system, a certain way of behavior, and they are completely giving it over to something else. You're not changing who you are. You're leaving who you are, and something brand new is beginning. When I'm counseling those who are going to get married, we use Play-Doh as our example. She's the pink Play-Doh, and he's the blue, and it's not like, well, on our wedding day, we just sort of go like this, you know? And So I'm still basically me, and you're you. We just are connected on the side. No, it's like when you give pink and blue Play-Doh to a two-year-old, they begin to mix it, and it becomes blue or blink or I don't know, but something weird, some new color and, and it's completely integrated and it's never what it was ever again. It is something new and really in the case of Plato, utterly inseparable. And I just wanted them to know that I couldn't have them a year into marriage and she's going, well, you know, back how it used to be, or I used to go to my mom for everything. So now I'm going to go to my mom. No, that that's gone. You're saying, you're saying bye to it. And now this is all there is. You want to see marriages succeed in this life? What if this is all there is, your marriage? There is nothing before this. Then you you make this work. And so I was kind of up there and I walked her down the aisle and my best buddy was up there and asked me if I'd give her away. And so I just stood up and my mouth just kind of opened. And I started by, I knew I wanted to make that point, but I started talking about Jesus. 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, Jesus lived on this earth. He lived for 30 years. He was a carpenter. He had parents and he had friends and he had siblings and he lived this life. But he understood that in order to be what God designed him to be, he had to not modify that life, not be a carpenter king. He had to completely end that life. He had to die only by a complete death. And everybody came to watch Jesus die only by a complete death and burial. He's gone. It'll never be that way again. Only then could God bring him forth new and he could become what what we needed him to be. And so I was telling this to Hannah and Braden, and I said, in like manner, before I talked about marriage, I said, in like manner, Hannah, I remember baptizing you into Christ. And Braden, I know for a fact that you've been baptized into Christ. And before you two died with Jesus, you had a life you were living. And you made choices and you made mistakes and you had this self-centric ideology that we all have. But at some point you decided that that life is not worth the living. That's what happens when we become a Christian. It's not just some water and we baptize people and we put their name in the bulletin. Like you decide that life as it is is not worth the living. And so Hannah, I baptized you and you went down Romans 6 into the water and we ended that life. We didn't modify it. We didn't say, well, it's still basically that life, except now you're supposed to, you know, go to church on your own. It's that life ended and you came up in a totally new life. And now all there is, is you and Jesus. I want you to hear me say that this morning. There's no you anymore. There's just you and Jesus. And and that's what I hope happened when she was baptized. And so I said, in like manner, as people gather to watch Jesus die and they gather to watch you be baptized, they're gathered here today to watch two people become one person. This is not a change. This is an all out new life. And I wrapped it up and we did all the stuff and the cake was leaning and we ate it anyway and we got done. And I'm driving home in the car and I'm thinking, did I just mess that up? Did I just give them a poor, I mean, you may think it's okay, but did I give them a poor illustration? And what I mean is, I think the the relationship between being baptized into Christ and becoming married is very similar when it's done right. But what if Hannah and Braden joined the church and they did there as a couple and they start looking at at baptized people. And what they see are baptized people in the church who are really still kind of living the old life. They're still kind of doing the old things, but they've, they've just like subscribed to Jesus. They just come to church a little more and they see people who are basically just like they were, except now they've added on Christ. What if they look at Christian lives and they pattern their marriage after that? And then I started to wonder, do you and I even know what baptism was for? You know, we're pretty big on that. We're Church of Christ, we're really big on that. Baptism must be for the right reasons. And if baptism is not for the right reason, it doesn't count. How many times have we said that? Well, if baptism in water is not the ending of one thing and the creating of a totally separate thing, then was I baptized in the name of Jesus? That's what kind of what I want to talk about today and challenge you to self-evaluate a little bit. And Jesus is going to help. Let's see, I haven't tested these or anything. I'm just going to start clicking things. Yes. Go to John chapter 12. I want you to hear Jesus. 
I want you to hear because Jesus is going to give us the illustration that you see pictured here. And what you're going to note as I read this is as I did in that, in that wedding sermon, he's really talking about himself first. He's saying, let me tell you what my process was like. Let me tell you what it took to get this done. But you're also going to note that this imagery is supposed to be shared with believers, that you're supposed to begin to identify with it. So let's pick up in maybe verse 20. John chapter 12 and verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast and they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and began to ask him saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Now listen carefully to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He goes on to say about us, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world ends it, abandons it for all that it was, will keep that life unto eternal life. If anyone serves me, must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So let's begin by just doing some imagery work. He tells the story of wheat. Now I want you to just think about this a moment and then we'll make the two applications that Jesus wants us to make. Here's this field where a lot of wheat grows. That's just kind of what happens. The stalk grows and there's little wheat heads on the end. And so you have this wheat head that grows on the natural stalk. And if the wheat wants to, it can just stay there. I mean, this is, you were born and raised and this is the life you know and, and there you are. And if you want to, you can just stay right where you are. You don't make any changes. You don't break away from anything, you just go with the flow. But in the end, of course, you can't become anything else. What happens to wheat if it just decides to stay where it was as it grew? Well, either the sun will dry it out or the birds will eat it or it will become a flour tortilla on its best day. But that's the end of it, it's, it's done. And so this wheat says, you know, I don't want to just follow the natural flow of being born and just sort of being taken away. So I'm going to break away. I think that's a really big decision for wheat to make if it was a person, if this was VeggieTales or something. It would be like, this is a big decision. I'm going to get away. I'm going to break away from the stalk and separate myself. And so the wheat does that. It breaks away. It says, I'm abandoning what is natural for something else. But it is at this point laying on the ground where the wheat has to make its most difficult decision. That was a pretty difficult decision. To break away from family, to break away from heritage, to break away from the world around you, it was great. But the bigger decision is, is this as far as I'm willing to go? Or am I willing to dig a hole in the ground, put myself in it, and completely end that life. I don't think the wheat would be as courageous to do that. It would say, I've broken away. Isn't that enough? But unless it goes down in the ground and dies, what happens to the wheat now? Well, the sun can still scorch it, probably even more quickly than if it was on the stalk. And the birds can come and eat it. It can't even become food now. It's laying on the ground, decaying. And so Jesus is saying, it has to completely give it all up. And then in the grave, this new sprout can come and God can produce fruit and do things. Now, what is Jesus talking about? First of all, he's talking about his own life. He's saying in some ways, kind of interesting to think about, that he broke away from heaven. Like he broke away from the natural stock that was perfect. 
He gave up a beautiful, eternal thing. He said, I'm going to break away. But if, if all Jesus had done was came to earth, fall into the ground and just came to earth. And he said, that's as far as I'm going to go. I'm just going to come here and be a carpenter and build a kingdom. There would have never been a kingdom built. It could only happen if he went all the way. What do you mean all the way? You know what I mean, Philippians 2. I mean, he didn't just come down out of heaven and say, here I am, let's start a church. He actually lowered himself even to be crucified on a cross and to be buried in the ground. And as a result of his burial, God changed him into something new. Now, what about you? Churches like ours and this one are filled with people who have made one really important decision, broken away from the world. I don't want to live like my family raised me to live. I don't want to live like the culture around me. I'm just going to grow and die and become nothing, and I don't want to be lost. So churches have a lot of people in them who break away from the natural stock, which is a great decision. Break away from the natural stock. But I, I surmise and suspect that there are a lot of those people who as far as they're willing to go is here on the ground where I can still see it. I can still see the stock. If I ever theoretically needed to get back, I could get there. But very few people are willing to say, you know what, that's not enough. Breaking away from the world is not enough. I'm actually going to dig a hole and stop breathing to that life. I'm gonna stop breathing to it. I'm gonna bury myself of it and I'm going to totally die. I don't think many of us are willing to do that. We wanna kind of lay there and go, is this good enough? Is this good? Is this good? Because I'm not there anymore. And now can God just go ahead and, and do all this? And God's going, you have to die first. I have to die? Yes, you have to actually go under. And what's interesting about this text is he said, if you fall to the earth, but you're not willing to die, look in the middle of the verse. It says, he remains alone. And my suspicion is there are people in churches of Christ today who feel very alone. Are you a member of a church, but you kind of feel like you don't fit in? I mean, you're not like you used to be. You're not on the stock. You don't live like the world. And so you don't really fit in with the world anymore. I don't fit in with all of that. I don't feel comfortable with all that. But in terms of like people in the church who are all in fanatical about it, I'm talking about like Wednesday nights, like and there are these people in the church and, and they're always talking about scripture and, and they're always wanting to give and they're always trying to grow and they're always confessing. They're, and you go, I, I mean, I go to church there, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm one of them either, you know? I'm not that and I'm not them. I feel alone. I believe there are a lot of people in the church who feel alone. Do you know why you feel alone? Because you have broken away from the world, but you have not died. Unless it dies. You can't just modify your old life and subscribe to Jesus and have a picture made and put in the hall or something. We have to completely give ourselves over. And so what I want to talk about a little bit for just a few minutes that we have left is I want to talk about that process. So let me look at some very, very positive things. Here's what Jesus wants to do. If you're willing to go through the total death of a life that exists no longer and start something new, one thing is he wants to give you a new life. Let's go to Romans 6. We can get a few of these early points right out of Romans. Go with me to Romans chapter six. You know this passage really well. This is about what happens when we're baptized. And in Romans 6, three, just listen to the language. 
Romans 6 and verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? A somewhat modified life. Pretty much the same life, but with church services. An occasional Bible read. It doesn't say you have the same life with like an asterisk beside it. We're born again to a totally new life. And if you remember who you were before you were baptized, that's what you wanted. I want a new life. This old life, I just keep getting disappointed and discouraged and disheartened. I want a new life. He said, you can have a new life, but you can't have a new life unless you get a new life. You know what I mean? You have to accept that idea because he says, I want to give you a new life, but you're going to have a totally renewed purpose. Yeah, you may still go to college and you may still work a full-time job and you will still raise a family and, and you'll still enjoy some, some sports. I'm wearing my Astros tie today. It's not Tennessee, it's not Auburn. It's an Astros tie. You're still going to kind of do all of that, but none of that is your purpose anymore. The person laying on the ground, I feel sorry for the church member that's laying on the ground. I don't think they know what their purpose is. I mean, they know what it's not. It's not just live out your life and, and, you know, go to hell. It's not that. But when it comes to, like, Jesus going, here's what you exist for now. And this is why you have money in your pocket. And this is why I allowed you to take another breath. And this is what I want you to do. I feel like they're like, I don't think that's me either. And what I want you to see is he's got better plans than this lonely middle ground that a lot of Christians live in. Look in verse 12, Romans 6, verse 12, please. Therefore, let's just read this through. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments, tools of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments, look at the text, as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. I mentioned to you briefly last night that we're well known for what we don't do. Here are all the things we don't do. Let me tell you, Church of Christ, we don't do things. Yeah, we're not instruments of unrighteousness. We don't do unauthorized things. But I don't want to be known for what I don't do. I want to be known for who we are, what we do, what we're about, when people come and visit the Fairview Church and they get to know you, do they go, whoa, that's a group of people who know what they're here to do, not they know what they're here to not do. We need to be known for what we do. What we do is, and you're going to hear this, and I think my favorite lesson to present is in the afternoon when you're all going to be asleep and stuff because of lunch, but where you, you understand this concept of instrumentation. Now, here, here's some really beautiful things. You don't have to do this by yourself. It's almost like if you, if you break away and you lay there, you're all by yourself. But if you die and you start a new vineyard and there's, there's new growth and you look around, there's other new growth around you and, and you're not alone. I'm thinking of 1 John 1, but I want you in Romans and chapter 12 will be just fine. In Romans 12, here's the good news. We die individually, but we live together. We bear fruit together. And we help prune one another to do that. In Romans chapter 12, I was just thinking about passages this morning. In Romans 12, verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body and the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We become this family of producers. I want you to think about that term. We are a family 
of producers, a family of givers, a family of evangelists, a family of light, because we know what we're here to do and we celebrate that fellowship. I could read a lot of passages here, but verse 10, you know this well. Because of this, we, we are in fellowship and we devote ourselves to one another and we don't lag behind in diligence and we help each other out. And we're gonna talk a lot about that to finish this tomorrow. And then of course, most crucial to it all is now we're, we're living for, for heaven. We're living for heaven. Go to 1 Peter chapter three for just a moment. What are you here for? Why are you alive? What a great question. You know, my, my brother Josh, I have two younger brothers. One is three years younger. His name's Josh. Great, great guy. And then Caleb, who uh, a lot of people know. For, he's, he's a good guy too. But Josh, when he was 15, he went to apply for his very first job. He never applied for a job before. And he had to fill out all the normal stuff. And then they had a previous employment section. And he just skipped it because he never had a job before. But he didn't skip down far enough. So at the bottom, it said reason for leaving and he, he thought it said reason for living. So he wrote to get married and have kids. And he didn't get, the, he didn't get that job. And I don't know what happened, but um, it's kind of weird. Like, who is this? This guy's weird. But, you know, Josh did get married. And he's got two boys. But I think if you ask him now, what's your reason for living? I just don't think he would say those things. I think that's a, that's a bet hedging. When you say, well, my real purpose here is to make a lot of money or have a great family or do things. And then, you know, one day maybe I'll get to go to heaven too. Like those people will never see heaven. Heaven is an all-in journey. It's a, look, maybe I'll have some money and maybe, you know, we'll get to win a championship. But in the end, I'm just here for heaven. And First Peter 3 has a sobering language to it. First Peter 3, here's the sad outcome for people who just can't die to this world. They just can't give it up as their focus. They just have to hold on to both, and it's so lonely and weird. But the, the outcome that, that stands out for us, if you'll go over with me, let's do 2 Peter. If you'll go over with me to 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will what? Pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works are going to be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be? And then you get to verse 13. According to his promises, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I have some friends who argue the restored earth concept of heaven. I don't buy that. I don't think God's going to repair this. I think he's going to replace it. God is not going to fix this up and make it workable for you. God is going to completely end it dramatically and bring about that which is new and spiritual and eternal. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. But you know, you've got to do that too. You've got to do that too. You've got to be like, look, I'm, I'm dead to these things as my life purpose, and I just want to get to heaven. Brother D. Bowman passed away two weeks ago. There are many things that he said that stuck with a great deal of us, but the most known statement is if you miss heaven, You've just missed all there is. But if I go check out somebody's Facebook feed and I read the last 20 things they posted, I'm going to wonder if they've even heard of heaven. Because it's all of this. It's all of that. I think we need to be consistent. And you'll feel less lonely when you're all in. Now, let me get to this. I want all of that. I want it so badly, and I know you all want it too. We want the new, restored, redeemed life. We're so imperfect. We need God's grace so every single day, and there's no perfection in this sermon. 
This sermon isn't about being buried and then completely being dead to the world, but it is the direction that you're choosing to head because I want to live the new purpose. I want to be a part of God's people and I want to get to heaven. But, but you, you get there when you die. So go to Colossians 3. I'm going to give you four final thoughts here at the bottom and we'll be done. Two are in the negative because they have to do with killing things. It's kind of a negative idea. And two are in the positive because they show you what you can become once you've chosen to do that. So let's do this together. Colossians chapter three. I want the new life. I want the new purpose. I want the new fellowship and the new destination. I can get it when I die to sin. We must die to sin. There's no modified life where sin, this is what they were arguing in Romans five and Romans six, where I can keep the sin going and then I can also keep the grace going. You either live to one or the other. Romans tells us a lot about that, but in Colossians three, In Colossians 3, look in verse 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, you say, yeah, I've been baptized, raised up with Christ. Great. Keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right end of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Why? Why am I constantly looking there instead of here? For you have died. You died. And your life is hidden in the ground with God so that he can decay what was and bring forth what should be. And and he says Christ will be revealed. But look in verse five. What do you mean die? Like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to, dead to, died, not modified, annihilated, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of those things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. That's how you used to walk. That's why you, that's why you took on Christ when you were living in them. But now you also, he says, it's not just sexual sin. Put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to each other. Why? Because you laid aside the old self. You killed it with its evil practices and you put on the new self who's being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Look, I'm not talking about perfection, but we are talking about an intense burning passion, a hatred for sin that the media cannot change or justify, that Netflix cannot condition you for or cause you to accept, a hatred for particularly in the text, sexually related sin, pornography and adultery and fornication and sins of anger against others like malice and gossip. We have to hate those things and not justify them. And so the first thing that I would ask you to do is whenever sin appears in your life, there can never be any justification. Aren't we terrible at that? Terrible at justifying. Well, I'm saying this and I'm doing that, but it's because of these things. The Bible says you've died to them so that you can be new. Always hate sin. Two words that I use very often in my life, and I actually have a little pain indicator. I'm a weirdo. But... There are certain things in my life that I must always hate, that I must never accept, that there can be no room for. That is sin, and I died to it, and I can't look back at it, and I have to bury my life from it. But it's pulling at me. It's like it's reaching down in the grave trying to pull me back out. And so I say, never again. And then I put my fingernail in my palm until it leaves an indent for about five minutes to remind myself, never again. I am not both men. I am not the remnant of what was and what is to be. One of us has to die. Never again. We die 
we die to sin. That's our attitude towards it. Now, there's a heavier debate on things that you think are sin, that I think are sin, but why don't we just start with things we all say are sin, and we'll be in pretty good shape, I think. Here's the second thing. We've got to die to ourselves. Boy, this one's tough, and we're going to talk about it in the afternoon. This one is tough. Did you know, just let me know, blink twice if you knew this, that you are at the center of every experience you've ever had. Did you know that? There's not a single thing you've ever seen or heard or witnessed or experienced or interacted with that the central figure from your perspective was not you. And so when Jesus comes out early in his ministry in Matthew chapter 16, he comes out early in his ministry and he says, okay, here you go. It's three things, you know, this process of dying, of changing, of all in. It's three things. And the first one may be the hardest of them all. Jesus said to his disciples in verse 24, after Peter had had said some things he shouldn't and revealed some weaknesses in his flesh, Jesus said to him, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And maybe that's that loneliness part. Maybe that's it. I'm I'm talking out loud as this is happening in real time, but maybe the, the people who are lonely in the church Maybe it's not that they're not all in. Maybe it's just that they're all in on two things. Let me know if this makes sense. Maybe they're like, I'm all in to follow Jesus, to take up the load and go and bear the fruit. But I'm also all in on myself. I'm all in on the things that I really, really want and the things that really, really matter to me. And, and, And how can you be all in on both things? Well, you know what it means. It means you're in for nothing. You're lonely and dying, laying in the field. And so Jesus said, first thing I need you to do is decide that life's not about you. And then you can take up the things that I want you to carry and you can go with me along the road. I'm gonna move on now to a couple of positive finishing thoughts because we're gonna dig in on this one pretty good here this afternoon because to the extent that you can die to self first, self-centered self always, you can truly begin to release some of those sins that have been holding on to you. And you can be reshaped and reformed by Jesus and you're not gonna care what anybody thinks about it. Go to Romans 14, Romans 14. Four deaths here. One is, I've got to hate sin and die to it and fight it too, also self, but really there's some positive aspects of this. The text said that once it is buried, like Jesus was buried in the grave, because Jesus gave his entire self to it, God was able to do things with Jesus that he could not do previously. And in the same way, we're dying for God. I'm in Romans 14, which is just a wonderful little chapter. There are a lot of sermons and things we could preach. It's an interesting chapter to me. It's like we all go to it for a couple of years and we all leave it for a couple of years. There's a lot of application here, but what I want you to see because it's about convictions and opinions and all that. It's always a conviction for someone and an opinion for another. But anyway, what I want you to see is verses five through nine. I want you to see this. You say, well, kind of what practically, what are you saying here? How does this live and breathe on a Saturday afternoon? Well, This text doesn't seem to be about doctrinal issues. I think we all agree on that. It's not like, do you have to be baptized or not, or take the Lord's Supper or not? I mean, it is a sin issue for half the people in the chapter because of their convictions. But here's what God's saying. God's saying, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's going to work. If it's not working on a Saturday, I don't care what it is. The main thing is, whatever it is, whatever you do, whatever you're about, wherever you go and why you go there, do it for me. Do it all for me. Listen to the language. I think you'll enjoy it. Romans 14, verse five. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Now you're going to see a phrase repeated several times here. 
He who decides to observe the day, observe it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. He who gives thanks to God and he who does not eat for the Lord, he does not eat and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for whom? Himself. And not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Here's the practicality. Maybe you're a high school star. Maybe you're a rock star at work. Maybe you have an awesome house, whatever. In our culture, it's very difficult to enjoy those things and not live for them. It's very, very difficult. We're in a very challenging time. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can decide that no matter what it is or where it is or how it goes, that it's for the Lord. And the objective is to glorify God in it. And the objective is to use the opportunity to glorify God. And the objective is to say, these things that I do enjoy primarily belong to you. And that change in thinking will allow God to bear great fruit fruit for him. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord, not for yourself. And then lastly, go back to our text. Go back to our text to finish in, in John chapter 20. In the end, God wants us to bear fruit for one another. I'm back in our text in John chapter 12. I really want to do some Galatians 5 stuff, but I think we will come back in a little while and we'll do some Galatians 5 stuff where we'll look at the fruit of the Spirit and how significant the fruit of the Spirit is. And I'm just going to give you a little teaser on that. I mean, it doesn't matter for what reason you've been baptized or what your church uses for worship or any of it. If we are not living filled with the fruit of the Spirit, it is all for naught because it is God's intention for us to die to the allure of this world and to sin and to self so that in the name of God, we can, look at the text, bear much fruit. But let me just make this point, and maybe you'll disagree. It's not important that you agree with me, only that you would admit that I'm correct. But God doesn't need your fruit. Like, if you were a fruit tree, let's go from wheat to fruit. We're just going to mix our figures. If you, were, if you were a fruit tree, what fruit would you be? Would you be an apple tree or a cherry tree or an orange tree? Whatever it is, God doesn't need it, okay? God doesn't eat fruit, okay? He doesn't need it. But he knows that the only way for people who have completely annihilated their old life and just left it for what it was in their life and are new, the only way they can, they can grow is if they draw nourishment from fellow believers who have also done the same thing. And so when we talk about bearing fruit in the text, that fruit is for your brothers, that fruit is for your sisters, that fruit is for one another, which takes me back to Hannah and Braden. I love Hannah and Braden very, very much, and I want them to be Christians their whole lives, but they're going to be looking to people like you guys. In particular, they go to church with me. They're going to be looking, going, okay, what does it mean to be all in? What does all in look like? What does all in sound like? What kind of choices does all in make? Does all in ever say the name of Jesus or maybe even raise your hands a little bit and and expound the glory of God? What does it do? Because they're going to be drawing those nutrients from one another. So I would just have you understand that we need you to make a choice. You say, you're not talking to me. Maybe I'm not talking to you. But if you've been lonely, I'm talking to you. If you just don't feel like you belong, if you've been hedging your bets and you know you've been hedging them, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, we need you to do a very hard thing, to die. You say, well, I was baptized in 1995. Okay. 
How much time do I have? I believe there's often quite a significant disparity in when people are baptized in the water and when they choose to die for Jesus. And I think we need to work on that. I think we need to work on it. I also think God's grace is enormous and fantastic and can help you through all of that. But maybe today is the day that you do that. God's people need that. I, I know about this church. I love you guys. Been coming for years. Know Jacob really well. Not the new Jacob as well, a little bit, but the old Jacob a lot. So strange, but I love him. A lot of potential here. And I bet if I had a chance to sit down with the shepherds of this church, they would say, you know, Chris, I just have to tell you, I was listening to your lesson this morning, I just think we got some members who are just laying there on the ground. Like, uh, they're not that, but they're not this. They left that, they didn't grab this. They're in between. And all I can say to the shepherds here is it's time to go knock on their door and say, can we sit down and talk and open the word to John 12 and go, can I read this to you? Like, our... we need you not to modify the life that was. We need you to start a new one. We need to know, are you in? Are you all in? Is this your new life? Because we need you. And I believe there are people who love to be needed and there can be value to that. Let me finish with this. Let me go back to marriage. Do you guys think it's possible? Hand in braid, and I'm gonna tell them what you said, okay? Do you think it's possible for a young couple to build a marriage, to build a marriage that is so tight and strong in God that it is indestructible. You think it's possible to like build that? I, I believe that it is possible to build that. But the only way it would be possible if it, is if there was never another option. Options, we're not great with options. We get an option, we get upset, we take it. If Hannah could always just go back to life before Brayden, one day she might go back to life before Brayden. You've all been tempted, maybe. But what if... What if there is no life before Braden? What if that day was a wedding, but it was really a funeral? There was a death. There were two deaths on January the 4th of this year. There was the death to the life that they lived that was not in union with one another. If they don't have a separate life to go back to, then they will never leave the joined life that now exists. Does that make a little bit of sense? Because I want to talk to you about something else. Once saved, always saved. Raise your hand if you're a once saved, always saved believer. Any once saved? Okay, all right. We're very much against once saved, always saved. And it's so ridiculously taught, the idea that you can just listen to it. You can just go back to the old life. You can just like come up out of the ground and jump back up on the stalk and reattach yourself and be like, I'm going to go to heaven. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Old Calvinism, new Calvinism, reformed, it doesn't matter. I don't believe in that. But let me ask you this. Is it possible for me, if I was talking to you personally at lunch, is it possible for me to fall away? You'd go, yeah, it is possible for you to fall away. And I'd say, well, well what would I need to do to fall away? And you'd say, well, you'd need to go back to a life of sin. You'd need to go in reverse. You'd need to stop making it about others and, and stop saying the name of the Lord. And you'd need to put yourself back in the center again. And, and Chris, if you went back to that life, you'd be lost again. And then I would say to you, what life? That life is dead. It's gone. 
By the grace of God, I've crucified it. Yeah, I get some little hints of it sometimes. It sneaks into the new, but it doesn't exist. If, if leaving Christ, if, if leaving Christ wasn't even an option for you because there was no life outside of Christ, are you going to heaven? You are saved and you are always saved. Folks, I think it's time to end our options and make our connection to Christ the only, the only life that is. And as a result of that, he can do wonderful things. And there can be a lot more joy in the church and a lot less fear. And I think Christians need that. Thank you guys for your good attention. We'll take a break. And then we come back this afternoon. We'll talk a little bit about Christmas cups and emptying ourselves and such. Thank you guys.